Revival. March. I am beginning to anticipate a thaw. Early mornings, the earth, old unbeliever, is still crusted with frost where the moles has nosed up their cold castings and the ground cover and shadows under the cedars hasn't softened for months. Fogs layering their slow, complicated ice around foliage and stem night by night. But as the light lengthens, preacher of good news, evangelizing leaves and branches, his large gestures beckon green out of gray, pinpricks of coral bursting from the cotoneaster, a single bee finding the white heather, eager lemon yellow aconites glowing low to the ground like little uplifted faces, a crocus shooting up a purple hand here, there, as I stand on my doorstep, my own face drinking in heat and light like a bud welcoming resurrection, and my hand up, too, ready to sign on for conversion. At the tea garden, my friend and I mull over the teas displayed in square jars with beveled glass labeled by type. Each name seems part of a haiku. After snow sprouting, moon palace, mist over the gorge. I'm drawn to the green teas with unoxidized leaves that don't wither, hold their grassy fragrance like willow under snow in winter. The proprietor offers real china for the Chinese tea. Animal bones, fine ground, give whiteness, translucency, and strength to the porcelain that appears delicate, resists chipping. The rim of the cup is warm and thin. My friend's lips are plush. Her lovely mouth opens to give advice I ask for. We talk about memory of threshold events, like a first kiss or a poem published. She can't remember. I tell her about my brother-in-law's chemotherapy, his third bout of cancer. He wants his family to put a pinch of his ashes in things he liked, his banjo, the top drawer of his desk, the garden. I wouldn't mind becoming part of a set of bone china that serves tea in a cozy tea house smelling of incense, cinnamon, musk, and carved teak. I'd like to be brought to a small table, sit between friends' quiet words, held in hands so close that breath on the surface of warm drink make mist rise over their faces. From the book of Mark in the Christian Gospels, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, 
they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. In the church of my childhood, there was a, a member named Gussie. And Gussie was 81 years older than me. I considered her a special friend. So did my mother. So did everyone else in the church, I think. She was just that kind of person. She loved her church and she loved the people in it. And one of the many special things about Gussie was that she dressed for church. She was stylish and elegant and her formal suit, hat, and gloves every Sunday stood out in our congregation. She stood out in Seattle, which is where I'm from. It's a city not known for its attention to style. Grunge has been our greatest gift to the fashion world. <laughs> and so most people there dress in polar fleece and sensible shoes as if a hike might break out at any moment. <laughs> And there's nothing wrong with that, but it did make Gussie's elegance stand out. And on Easter, Gussie always pulled out all the stops, wearing an Easter bonnet tastefully done up with flowers. Everyone looked forward to seeing the beauty and the elegance and the joy that she embodied every Easter morning. Gussie died about 20 years ago. She was in her late 90s. And she died after a long, meaningful life and a brief illness. She died in the early spring, only a few weeks before Easter. And as we mourned her, we especially mourned that we would not get to see her Easter ensembles anymore. This felt like the end of Gussie's story, but it was also the beginning of a new chapter for the church. Someone had an idea. What if we all wore beautiful Easter bonnets on Easter, like Gussie. She spread the word, and then everyone got the message that they were to wear an Easter bonnet in honor of Gussie that Easter morning. So I spent a wonderful afternoon shopping with my family, and that Easter morning, the sanctuary was filled with Easter bonnets on, most of, on almost all of the women and on quite a few men. A lot of the first-time visitors were deeply puzzled about what was going on. <laughs> and now, 20 years later, my church continues this tradition. Church members and friends of all genders wear Easter bonnets on Easter morning. So they're worn by people who loved Gussie, people who never knew Gussie, people who weren't even born when she was alive. 
people who were part of the congregation during her lifetime and people who were not. And they've all been invited into Gussie's story. They all participate in this tradition. And her commitment to beauty lives on in all of them. So that is my Easter story of resurrection. People of all ages and all genders wearing Easter bonnets year after year in memory of someone that not all of them remember. That is resurrection. That is the triumph of love over death, which is the Easter message. We remember today that death is never the end of the story. Love wins. Stories are always to be continued. Gussie's story continues on the heads and in the hearts of one congregation as they gather for worship, right as we are gathering now. And just like Gussie, we are all resurrected after death. It happens in many ways. It happens especially at memorial services. At the memorial services in this community, we tell stories about the deceased. Funny stories, loving stories, true stories. Stories that reflect who the deceased was and what he valued. Stories that reflect who the deceased was and how deeply her life touched ours. And almost always we end up hearing new stories about this person we thought we knew. And we come to understand them in a new way. In that way our loved ones keep living, not in their bodies but in ours, in our hearts and in our minds. And as we celebrate the triumph of love over death, we know that each of us is destined for this sort of resurrection. Death is never the end of the story. Stories, including our stories, are always to be continued. And when our lives are over, we live on in those who love us. That is more than enough resurrection. That is more than enough Easter, more than enough rebirth more than enough spring. Because what is spring but an annual resurrection? The poets know this. Nature wakes from seeming death as the light lengthens preacher of good news, evangelizing leaves and branches. His large gestures beckon green out of gray. The world that has been dry and dormant revives itself. Like Gussie, like my home congregation, the world festoons itself with flowers. Spring has sprung. The season's first crocus shooting, its purple, shooting up its purple hand might take our breath away. It's hard not to take spring personally. It's hard not to see it as a symbol. Something new is afoot. The dormant time is over in the world of nature. Perhaps a dormant time, the tomb life, is ending in our lives. Hope is present and life continues. What is blossoming in your life today? Italian poet Diego Valeri writes, you who have an eye for miracles, regard the bud now appearing on the bare branch of the fragile young tree. It's a mere dot, a nothing. But already it's a flower, already a fruit, already its own death and resurrection. We are all part of that cycle. We are all a bud, a fruit, a flower, a death, a resurrection. We are part of unstoppable cycles of rebirth, regeneration, and resurrection.
Today, our Christian friends, neighbors, and fellow congregants mark the triumph of love over death in the story of Jesus. Just when all hope is lost, just when the story seems over, the stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty. The women who are expecting to find the mangled body of their prophet flee in terror and amazement. Something strange has happened, and death and destruction do not win. Many of us in this room question the Easter story of Jesus. Did it really happen as the Gospels claim? We know enough science to know that bodily resurrection is miraculous. We should hold fast to these doubts. Many of our Unitarian forebears were martyred for their doubts, for their willingness to publicly disagree with the prevailing tradition. They died so we might live with free minds. They died so that we might wonder and question and doubt. Death is not the end of their story either. Their stories continue in us when we use our reason and experience to decide what we believe. But doubt cannot be all that we hold fast to. Many of us need something at our center beyond uncertainty. For me, the center comes from the other half of our tradition, the Universalists. The Universalists put love at the center of their lives and their faith. They believed that all of us are saved. There is nothing that anyone can do to separate themselves from a love that will not let us go. Love always wins. Their understanding of the world and their understandings of love come from the life and ministry of Jesus. My friend Mark is a Lutheran pastor. And once I asked him how he understands the death of Jesus, the atonement, and the resurrection, I came at him with a lot of questions. (laughs) Did God really send God's son to die to take away the sin of the world? If God is all-powerful, couldn't God have just wiped away the sin without this death? And if Jesus is the son of God, what kind of parent is God? (laughs) What kind of parent sacrifices their child? I think a lot of us struggle with these questions. A lot of my Christian friends struggle with these questions. And Mark responded, to me, Jesus' death wasn't God's plan. Jesus' life was the plan. God sent Jesus to preach the coming reign of God, the beloved community. He sent Jesus to teach about justice and grace, to remind us of forgiveness, to remind us that we are not defined by what we own, that loving our neighbor means loving everyone, no exceptions, even the people we find it hard to love, probably especially the people we find it hard to love. Jesus' message, unsurprisingly, was hard for people to hear 2,000 years ago. It remains hard to hear and live out today. The Roman authorities executed Jesus to silence his teachings because it threatened them and their authority. The crucifixion wasn't God's plan, according to Pastor Mark. But when it happened, God stepped in with a resurrection. God stepped in to say, even if you have given up on love, love doesn't give up on you. Even if you kill the messenger, you can't kill the message. Love doesn't give up. Love triumphs over death. And when Jesus was killed, God suspended the laws of nature to say, this is not the end of this story. That is the message of Jesus' resurrection. 
at least according to Pastor Mark. Jesus came back to life to show that love will never let us go. This prophetic message cannot be silenced by a painful and humiliating death. And today we celebrate that triumph of love over death. That is resurrection. Whether we agree with Pastor Mark's views on the resurrection or not, we know that death is never the end of the story. We know that love wins. We know that stories are always to be continued. And if the miracle of bodily resurrection is not your miracle, perhaps the miracles of science are. We know that the atoms that made up our bodies were forged in distant stars and have cycled through plants and animals and air and earth more times than we can imagine. These cycles will continue long after us, long after our lives end. That unending cycle is also a resurrection of sorts. We are quite literally the resurrected. It is a near certainty that in each of us, in each of our bodies gathered here today, we carry a molecule from Jesus' body at the time of his death. The likelihood that a molecule of Jesus is not in us is 0.0, then with 4 million zeros after it, and then a 1. So I think that's as close to the certainty as you can really get. So we are quite literally carrying Jesus within us, and also Buddha, also the dinosaurs, and anything else that you care to name is in us. That is the Easter message. Death is never the end of the story. Stories are always to be continued, whether through memories that live in others' hearts or the very fiber of our beings being reused and repurposed in the creation of new life. Another tale of resurrection comes to us from New York State. At the Sing Sing Correctional Facility, an infamous prison just outside New York City, 15 inmates every year study for a master's degree from a local seminary. This group of men of various faiths and no faiths gather five days a week for a year. Professors from New York Theological Seminary travel up the river to teach them. And as the men study, they also work within the prison to help those around them. They are chaplains, assistants, and drug counselors. They teach conflict negotiation and tutor fellow inmates studying for their GEDs. They study redemption and resurrection and try to live it. The responsive reading we read earlier spoke of living a tomb life of the soul. And these men live a very real tomb life, locked up and largely forgotten. The tomb life they experience in prison gives them time to experience the pain of the world and reach out to heal others. If and when the men who graduate from this program are paroled, mostly lives devoted to service. They strive for redemption and resurrection, and usually they succeed. They pastor churches, they tutor children, they found programs dedicated to helping other people released from prison reintegrate into society. Their recidivism rate is less than 10% over the 30-year life of the program. 
while 67% of the national prison population is arrested again within three years of being released. Most of the men who participate in this program were sent to prison for murder, assault, or other violent crimes. They know death well. They have brought death and destruction into the world. Once in prison, they devote their lives to not letting that death and destruction have the last word. One of these men, Orlando Hernandez, explains, remorse is the driving force in my transformation. There hasn't been a day that has gone by that I have not regretted what I have done. I know that I can't make it up to the former, up to the family of the person I killed, but maybe I can make it up to others. There is resurrection in Orlando's efforts to make up for the crime he committed. There is resurrection in the service these men offer to others. They hope for the triumph of love over death. They struggle to make that real in the world. Every day they practice resurrection. They live Easter lives. They trust in the promise of Easter, the promise of spring, the promise of Gussie's Easter, ba- Easter bonnets. They hope that death is never the end of the story, that love wins, that stories are always to be continued. Their actions are guided by the hope that even in the aftermath of horrific violence, there are chances for remorse, redemption, and resurrection. We as a people of love and a people of hope, a people who believe that everyone is worthy of love, no exceptions, hope alongside them. We might doubt sometimes, but but we hope that death is never the end of the story. We hope that love really does win and that it will triumph over death in our hearts, in our lives, and in our world. On this Easter Sunday, a day that rings out with alleluias, may we have eyes for miracles. The miracles of love, the miracles of spring, the miracles of hope, the miracles of memory. May we revel in the triumph of love over death, May we remember that death is never the end of the story. Love wins. Stories are always to be continued. May we practice resurrection. May it be so. May we make it so. And amen.